0: You're listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals.
1: For nearly four decades, Charles Krauthammer's syndicated column appeared in The Washington Post and in over 400 other newspapers worldwide. As a regular panelist on Fox News' special report, he challenged viewers with his reasoned analysis of the issues of the day which was often coupled with a reassuring smile. As listeners will remember, Charles passed away last June. Yet, while fighting cancer, he was determined to finish The Point of It All, the book we will now be discussing with his son Daniel, who writes in the book's introduction that his father said, If it's not worthy, don't publish it. Well, if sales are a determinant of worthiness, then there's no doubt that it's worthy. Since its publication in November, the point of it all remains firmly in the top 10 on the New York Times bestseller list. And I have to say, having read it over the holidays, I can attest that this is a book that you will read not just once, but one where you will want to go back and read it again and again. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for coming to Dallas. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Collaborating on this book must have been one of the most rewarding and yet toughest experience of your life. Tell us about... How the book came about? Was it already in his mind to do? And what was your role?
0: As you say, it was both an incredible experience and a difficult one at the same time. The book was something that my dad had been working on for quite some time before uh, his illness struck. When he was in hospital, he continued to work on it, and that's when I became involved with the project. And I was helping him to move along on it and got my sense of where he wanted to go with it. And when... He learned that he wouldn't be able to finish it himself. He entrusted it to me and asked me to make sure it was completed for him. And so I took that on, and that's been my responsibility these last many months.
1: So how many columns did you and your dad look at?
0: I don't know how many he looked at. I'm pretty sure he went through everything as well at one point. But when I took it over in full to make sure that I didn't miss anything and that there there were no special gems that were left unincluded. I went back and reread essentially everything he ever wrote, which is just about 2,000 columns, essays, speeches, and other writings. So that was, that was quite an undertaking and a, a pretty amazing one to go through all that. Uh, and I did find quite a few gems that I'm, I'm so glad were able to be included
1: in the book. And the scope of the essays uh, or the columns is it's incredible. I mean, it goes from religion, stem cell research, monuments, obviously the Bush legacy as well and a bit about President Trump. Was there really a structure to it? How did you decide how to design the chapters?
0: I mean, that was really what I felt was the biggest responsibility and challenge of editing the book. My father had grouped these into different chapter headings. I filled out the chapters with some, some new columns, and the most important thing was to make sure those held together and that they all held together as one complete work. And... That's what I write about in the introduction, I think, is how really, to me, I could see the philosophical sinews between everything from politics and questions of world history to, as you say, medical ethics and then fun topics, baseball, chess, and personal aspects of his life, family, friendship. And to me, really, there's an underlying philosophy and approach to life an understanding of human nature, of the limits of our knowledge, the humility we should have in the face of that, that really... Unifies everything in an incredibly beautiful way as well as intelligent and analytical and moving way.
1: Most of the pieces in the book had been published elsewhere, but a significant two chapters focused on foreign policy, and obviously our listeners, they're interested in foreign policy. And tell us how that came about and let's take a minute and talk about two of the major themes that came out in the foreign policy chapter, and that is intervention and America's place in the world.
0: So my father had had also been working on the early stages of a book on foreign policy and original work. And that, when, when all this fell to me, that couldn't be its own book at the point it was, but it was wrapped up into this book, into in the major chapter, as you say, at the end. And he speaks about, there's one chapter on foreign policy, which is really about kind of issue by issue, and one really foreign policy in the grand scheme of world history. What mm-hmm. is America's role what should we be doing, how should we see ourselves, and, and how do we want the world to be? And to your point, uh, you know, two of the big issues are, and they're in, interrelated, when do we intervene, what are the criteria on which America should become involved overseas, and where is history going? And I think to my father, he was always, throughout his whole career, a staunch advocate of a robust uh... american foreign policy of a confidence in america's values that america and what was largely in america's interest was freedom writ large around the world Mm -hmm. uh... and that that was something that we shouldn't be shy about standing for our values and also where that moral mission overlapped with a strategic realpolitik imperative to take action that those two criteria of a moral and strategic reason for involving ourselves abroad were the the bases on which we should make these decisions and that one alone was not sufficient and he thought America needed to be careful with its uh, when it committed to especially the use of force but uh, of any of its power because it's not unlimited Um, but he saw that really in a very real sense world history depended on America using its power justly and wisely Mm -hmm. that to him You know, the world is not a safe and orderly place. It's a Hobbesian state of nature. The only reason that things stay relatively calm and peaceful and open and free is because America for the last two generations now has kept it that way, that it's kept the sea lanes open, it's kept tyrants at bay, it's enforced uh, the rules of countries not invading each other, stop genocides, that that isn't the natural way of things without a, a strong power uh, advocating for the kinds of values that we support, you would get a world that's, that's very much a war of all against all. And we've seen that throughout most of human history. We're the exception right now. We're not the rule. And I think my father had a keen appreciation uh, of that sense of history, that we're not on an inevitable path to progress. We mm-hmm. have to take action and defend that openness, that freedom, that just world order, or else we could very well lose it.
1: He really saw us as the architect and the leader of multinational organizations such as NATO. And I, I think he was very concerned, too, after the, the inaugural speech of President Trump. He wrote about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he writes in the book uh, and criticizes, uh, I think, both a, what he described as a, a left-wing rejection of this kind of leadership role for America and a right-wing rejection of it, both criticizing President Obama, for instance, on, on essentially seeing America as uh, you know, not justified in intervening in the world or, or enforcing these rules. On the other hand, criticizing President Trump of saying, oh, well, the world doesn't deserve our help, that we should just withdraw to Fortress America, so to speak, and not care what happens elsewhere. And he saw both as foolhardy and short-sighted, I think. And he, was, he certainly was he was wary, particularly, of some of the positions President Trump had advocated of questioning Our commitment to NATO, questioning the logic of deterrence when these things had been what has kept peace on a large scale worldwide for 70 some years now. That again, we've, to a degree, we think that we take it for granted that, of course, there are no major wars. Of course, you know, Russia's not just going to roll across Eastern Europe. But why? my father saw that it's because of what America's built because of the leadership America exerts and the deterrent force that it makes clear. I
1: mean, I gather he he really didn't see foreign policy as a transaction.
0: No. Uh, I think he saw it as it's not a trade-off of zero sum of, you know, yeah. we protect them, we get nothing. The whole point is our own safety is is enhanced by en- enhancing their safety. You know, we don't again, look to history, do we, you know, if you wait until the enemy, the tyrants Conquer everybody else and get more powerful until they can truly threaten you. That's a much, much more dangerous, much more frightening world to live in than if you, with much less expenditure, much less force, and the whole point is never to have to use force in the first place. If you make your position clear, you stop the tyrants before they start rolling towards you.
1: You know, we host a, a lot of authors on this podcast, and I find that our listeners are very interested in the methodology. Talked about that earlier today when you were in Fort Worth. Tell us again about how your dad spent his week yeah. know, right, in preparing the column.
0: Yeah, I know it evolved a bit over time, but when I was growing up and I saw him doing this, he he had a bit of a routine. He would, over the weekend, relax and kind of let his thoughts percolate and do his kind of, book reading and heavy reading. On Mondays, and this was to prepare for his Friday column, he was always on, on Fridays publishing, he would think on Mondays. He would just sit, <laughs> think, read papers, see what the arguments were, Tuesday, he would start to dictate. He would put all his ideas out there. Sometimes it was more than one. He would try to narrow it down to to two, and then by the end of the day, make a decision. Wednesday, he would edit, 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 edit. <laughs> Thursday, he would edit some more, send it to the Post, get their edits, and then edit, edit some more. And Friday, it would be published. But it was really, he always said that his, his writing process was really in the editing. He mm-hmm. liked to get the ideas just out there on the page as fast as he could, but shaping it, making sure that they moved logically from one point to the other and were airtight. That was where he really spent his time.
1: I want to ask you, if you would, would you read this last paragraph about what your oh. dad <laughs> wrote about Chester? Yes,
0: I love this, actually. <laughs> um, so this was about, it was actually my dog, my black lab. Uh, when I was a child, our dog, he, and he died suddenly when, when I was 18, actually. And my father wrote a column about uh, our dog, Chester. So mm-hmm. he writes this. Some will protest that in a world with so much human suffering, it is something between eccentric and obscene to mourn a dog. I think not. After all, it is perfectly normal, indeed deeply human, to be moved when nature presents us with a vision of great beauty. Should we not be moved when it produces a vision, a creature of the purest sweetness? I, I love that. Um, That's a wonderful piece. It really is. And it speaks so much to, there is so much as well as the incredible logic and and forced my father's argument there was a real art and beauty and and even poetry to so much of what he
1: wrote like on topics like this absolutely and as i said at the beginning of the program i enjoyed so much reading the point of it all a lifetime of great loves and endeavors i read it quickly because i was getting ready for your visit (laughs) and it's a book i know i'm going to want to go back and, and read the pieces over and over again thanks so much for being with us and i know this was a tough thing for you to do but congratulations it's it's important
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org.